Welcome back to another episode of the Pickup Music Pod, where we help you improve your guitar skills. My name is Carl Kerfoot. I'm head of education here at Pickup. And today, folks, we are flipping the switch on you a little bit. We're going to be talking about teaching guitar. Our guest today, Mr. Jack Handyside, is equal parts guitarist extraordinaire and passionate educator. Jack is based in the UK, and he's been a Pickup Music team member for the past two years, doing writing and comments. And if you've submitted a performance piece via one of the learning pathways, you've probably gotten some personalized feedback from him as well. So whether you're actively teaching and you're looking for some tips and tricks on how to help your current students, or you're maybe a little teaching curious and you're hoping to get that side hustle going, Jack had some really insightful stuff. How to connect with different types of students, the pros and cons of teaching itself, uh, a little bit about the biz side of it, how to attract students, how to keep students. So let's get right into it. Jack, thank you so much for being here. Welcome. Tell us, why should you teach guitar? Teaching guitar is a really interesting topic because there are those who are drawn to it, I think, and there are those who feel it is more of a thing that needs to be done to kind of support perhaps its like wider career goals. If, if I'm thinking about why you should do it, I can list many, many reasons because as a teacher myself, there are so many things that I find are positives about it. There's the interpersonal relationships that you have with students. There's the connections that you make. I think there's the solidifying of information as well. The stuff that you're teaching becomes part of your, it becomes part of yourself as well. And that as, um, as I'm sure that we will talk about it as well, your teaching philosophy is something that develops. And I actually believe quite, quite strongly that your teaching philosophy is very much a life philosophy as well. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's kind of like, um, you know, should you teach guitar? For some people, it's it, it can be a passion. And other people, it's uh, a, a side hustle um, or maybe a side passion. Maybe, maybe it's a bit of both. Um, but uh, yeah, t- tell me a little bit about your journey. You know, I mean, we work together at Pickup, but so you obviously teach like, uh, do you teach in person? Give us, give us a rundown of what you do as a guitar teacher. Sure. So I've been teaching now for, I would say close to 10 years. I started teaching whilst I was still studying and I was in music school and I was in London, which is unfortunately one of the most expensive country, uh, countries, cities rather in Europe. And so, uh, I was having to kind of make my way and teach on the side. And initially it really started as just something to do to kind of support support myself whilst I was whilst I was kind of learning my trade and learning my craft. But over time, what's kind of happened is it's become one of my main uh, sources of income. Yes, but it's really become a passion for me. I realized pretty quickly that it was something that I was good at. It was something that I had a conversational style for and I suppose a, a bit of a, a way of breaking things down as well. It was something that really came naturally to me. So yeah, I teach online. I teach in person as well. My students are all over the world. Um, I, In fact, the time that you're speaking to me right now. I've just finished a full day of speaking uh, in person as well to my students, which has been really, really lovely. Um, yeah, I've, re- I've really enjoyed just kind of uh, developing my own teaching philosophy from it as well. And just seeing that every student brings different kinds of problems. I think there's something really, I would say there's something in it personally for me in that I like the feeling of being able to get somebody over a hurdle. I have some students that are complete beginners. I have students that are Uh, quite advanced as well. Some of them are already at music school and they all bring with them a bag of problems that they would like solved. And so we kind of talk about them and sometimes it's situations that I can find um, that I can help them with. And sometimes it's about uh, kind of giving them the tools to solve their own problems as well. 
Yeah, I like what you said. Um, you you like helping them get over hurdles. I think that uh, you know, as far as this this question goes, should you teach guitar? That is sort of the the big picture question. Maybe is you know, do you feel drawn to helping people? Is that something that you kind of innately want to do? And if you don't, that's totally fine. A lot of people don't. There's so many amazing guitar players that could care less if you know how to play their lick. <laughs> Absolutely. You're, you know? you're dead right about that. There's, um, I would say there's a really big part of, of teaching the guitar that's actually about learning about the person rather than about the, the giving of information. I think there's, there's a million and one sites uh, the best one is still pickup, obviously, but there are a million and one insights that give you information. But that ability to speak to people and 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 find out how they learn or how they take on information, I think, is so key to having a good working relationship personally. So, yeah, I, I do think you need a large part of empathy and patience as well. And I would say, and this is kind of the thing I'm learning more, more, more recently, you have to have a real interest into how that person works because it's going to answer so many questions along the way as you teach them. That's a great point. I think that will maybe lead us into the nuts and bolts of teaching. And then maybe we can talk a little bit about the biz side of it as well. Um, but so first with the nuts and bolts, uh, you know, what are some things that you've um, developed over the years in terms of your approach to teaching? Um, you know, uh, in, it sounds like you, you know, you want to be empathetic um, to different ways of learning. Maybe um, it sounds like um, you kind of enjoy this process of like cracking the code and seeing the light bulb moments go off. Like for me, that's a, that's a, that's a great feeling, you know, that's such a great feeling. Um, but yeah, go ahead. I think within those markers that we set in patience and empathy, I think there is a whole world of different topics that we can get into from there. I think for me personally, I started off sort of winging lessons in a way, having people come in and just kind of figuring it out as I went along. And, and then I went through the opposite cycle. I thought, okay, let me, let me hyper prepare for everything that this, this, this could possibly throw up. And I found that both approaches didn't really work because one was, was too prepared and one was too underprepared as well. And actually what I found was it, it made more sense for me to understand the big picture of how people learn. So there are a couple things that I found super, super important to understand about people, which is the first one being everybody learns in one of the four predominant learning styles. So whether that is visually, if it's auditory as well, if it's reading and writing, or if it's kinesthetic, so people who have to do things. I find that once you figure out that everybody fits into one of those boxes, that's when you can then start to shine a, a light or a, have a kind of a magnifying glass on each student and figure out, great, I know how you learn now. I know how you're going to take information on board and I know what's not going to work too. I think that would be the first thing. The patient side of things, funnily enough, I think there's something very cathartic about this experience of, of, of having patients. Weirdly, I see myself in a lot of my students, which I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but I see a lot of the times that I myself, when I was learning and coming up and, and trying to get my stuff together, I saw that I needed a lot of patience. I needed help in places that I sometimes didn't know how to ask for. I needed a really full picture for how something worked. And then right at the end, I needed a challenge. I needed to be tested to be shown, can I do it? Can I make the, the, um, 
can I make the connection that the whole lesson was about? Um, so I, I think there's 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 a lot in there just about having some skills beforehand in how to read people. There is, a, I would say, a feeling as well of making sure that you can break people down. So making sure that you can get to their gooey center and <laughs> making them laugh or making them just feel comfortable in an environment as well. I think learning is a really big part about just making people feel that they can make a mistake in the room, that they are happy to be challenged on things. And all of that just comes down to making sure that you've got a secure relationship as person to person. You will meet people that you just, you don't get on with and it's not your fault. It's not their fault. There's just, there's not the chemistry there. There's not the conversational style, but I think a lot of the time you can overcome those hurdles too. Yeah. Yeah. So the four predominant learning styles, uh, visual, auditory, reading and writing and kinesthetic. Yeah. I think uh, you know, one thing that I learned about like in in college, because uh, I, I did my undergrad in, in music education, and there was this this theory uh, from Howard Gardner, Howard Gardner, the theory of multiple intelligences. And it's funny, uh, back then, there were only five. And I see now uh, when I did a little research this morning that they've actually upped it to, uh, to eight. Um, and I think where you're getting at with, with these four that you've, it sounds like you've kind of just, these are like the four core ones for you, which probably make the most sense in terms of teaching music. Um, but for Howard Gardner, they're, uh, they're spatial, which is like, you know, being very aware of your surroundings and being able to visualize things, a naturalist, uh, understanding living things. Musical is actually one of them now. That one wasn't there before, but let's say musical is an intelligence. Bodily kinesthetic, being very um, coordinated physically. So athletically gifted people, for example. Linguistic, finding the right words to express what you mean. Intrapersonal, being very in touch with yourself. Interpersonal, being very in touch with other people. And then kind of the logical mathematical is the, the final one. In some ways, it can sound like a little bit of mumbo jumbo academic, academic stuff. But I've personally found through the years that, you know, and, and, and everybody has all of these intelligences, right? It's just, <clears throat> excuse me, the theory is like, you know, some people gravitate towards more uh, one or the other. And in fact, they actually learn best if you cater to that I'm not sure if this is the case in the US, but I think one thing that's really coming out right now, especially in, in, in the world of talking about education in the UK, is how it's very, very difficult as class sizes grow to adapt your learning for each student. So most students are taught from one sort of way. So I remember this in school myself, and this is kind of why I said as well that I see myself in a lot of my own students, which is I remember going through a lot of school and actually feeling quite unintelligent. Because I was being taught in a way that just didn't register for me. And that's not a fault of anybody. It's the fact that class sizes are large and it's hard to, hard to serve everybody. But I think that's one of the joys of, of understanding that about yourself or, or what your own experience is with learning and being able to treat each student one-to-one in a way that you think, okay, great. I know that you're this kind of learner. So let's, let's um, make sure that our our topics and our conversation are lent towards theory or they're learned towards perhaps more abstract thinking or more kind of kinesthetic thinking as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. And and so far, I think what we're talking about is really, you know, teaching private lessons, whether that be on Zoom or in person, right? I mean, teaching group guitar lessons is a whole different ballgame. And you're right, we don't really have the luxury um, of being able to 
get so specific with it with each person, uh, at least not in the detail that, uh, of course, the same amount of detail that you would have in a private lesson. Um, but that's really interesting that you felt like, man, I, I like almost like you didn't feel intelligent because you didn't have a way to express it in your way. There's a diagram for this. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's brilliant. It's a very simple picture. It's of a, there are scientists that are sitting at a table. It's a drawing, basically. There are scientists that are sitting at a table. The two of them are sitting with their clipboards on this table. And in front of them is a tree to their right. And on the left are all these different animals. So there is an elephant, there's a monkey, I think there's a giraffe as well. And then there's a goldfish in a bowl. And the scientists say, all of you have to climb the tree. And it creates this sense of, well, that's not possible for some people. If you set them the same task or the same environment, sometimes it doesn't work. And you're right. There is, there's a real luxury in one-to-one -one communication where you can start to say, well, okay, well, the goldfish can't climb the tree, but what else can he do? Right. Yeah. So let's apply this to, uh, to guitar. Let's apply this to a good, I mean, I, I sort of did it earlier with like thinking about like a mathematically minded student or something, but is there an example that you can think of where, you know, say you were trying, say a student really hit a brick wall with something and um, maybe there's an example you can think of where you help them get over it in multiple different ways. Like, did you have to try, you know, uh, multiple ways of explaining it and then finally it went off? Yeah, absolutely. I am quite a visual thinker myself. And I didn't realize with this student in particular that he was also somebody who was very much a visual thinker. So the explanation is this. So I was teaching this Bach piece. A lot of my students are, they're very kind of high, high level students already coming to me to learn lots of weird different techniques. I don't know why. And one of the things that we were studying was this, this Bach invention. And we were trying to get across the idea of, uh, two lines moving at once. So this is what's called counterpoint. So we have two separate lines moving at once. A very difficult skill for guitar players to have and also a very strange one. So we think about the technical side of things. And as he's playing, I notice that, you know, week on week, nothing's really changing in terms of the individuality of both lines. So I, you know, I'm saying, well, maybe we should hybrid pick this. Maybe we should um, think about putting the pick down and trying this instead. And then I had a really radical idea, which was, well, how would I figure this out? Let's just, let's just think outside the box because this student is a great reader, but in terms of the actual performance of this, it's not working. So I got the both of us to put our instruments down and I said, I want you to imagine that you have two hands on the piano. You don't have to know how you play it. It's not important at all, but imagine you're doing something with the right hand. And then what you're doing is you're doing the opposite job with the left hand. So you've got this bass on the one hand and you've got the melody on the right hand. Um, and I said, okay, great. So when you pick up your guitar, I want you to keep this image in mind. So as you're playing, you're listening to yourself. You're not reading the music. You're not thinking about being a guitar player. You're thinking about being a piano player. And it was really amazing because he then started to hang on notes a little bit longer. There was a lot more crossover on the two lines that it was like the two lines were having a conversation with each other. And it was a real light bulb moment to me, which was sometimes the answer is not on the page and it's not even on the instrument. Sometimes the answer exists in this weird metaphorical space that you have to dream up. That's that's amazing. Yeah. So uh, so it really it really helped him kind of develop those those lines and the counterpoint stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's the case for for a lot of different skills as well. It's about sometimes challenging the general way of doing something. I think you'll I'm sure know this as well from teaching beginners, but a lot of beginners have real difficulty working with 
just laying down chords, making sure that all the, the notes in your chords are clear, it can be very tough to kind of find out what, what amount of tension is supposed to be there and how hard are you supposed to grip it. And I found that same that same process of restyling how you are describing technique, whether it's by kind of being more visual when it's about perhaps addressing like the, each of the fingers, like how much tension you're putting on them and what direction they're facing as well. There are small kind of words, there are small kind of thinking mechanisms that can really just immediately get a student out of a rut or to suddenly kind of think clearly on it and then start playing clearly as well. There's there's a real link between mind and body that way. And it's about tapping into the mind so that the body then solves the issue for them. Moving on, let's see if there's any other just kind of general tips that you have for us as far as um, the nuts and bolts of teaching, you know, anything that you've um, developed over the years or, I don't know, just things that, that might help anybody that's thinking about, you know, should I, should I consider teaching guitar? I would say one of the things that really helped me out was making sure that I had multiple perspectives on one topic, which sounds challenging, but... I think there's more than one way to understand something. There's the heavy music theory way of doing it. And then this goes back to, you know, having skills before the lesson starts, having skills before you even meet the student sometimes, which is, okay, if you're going to teach a lesson on chords, how can you describe chords? How can you describe how they work, how they fit? How, can you think of as many different ways to describe the one mechanism for building chords or how they work. I mean, I use this all the time with talking about how a triad works. I talk about it being a sandwich in a way, or a burger is a great example. So when we have like, say, our, our triad of a root, a third, and a fifth, the most important part of that chord, of course, you know, is, 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 the, is the third, strangely enough. The root allows us to ground the sound. It's, it's equally as important. But you know, the, so we, the third would be the burger. Oh yes, case? exactly. Yeah, the third it, would be if, the burger. It's, it's the thing that you go yeah, for. It's, it's a, the Angus steak, and then you've got you know, um, I suppose you've got the a, buns. It's a flat third if it's a veggie burger. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a sus four, I think. A sus four if it's a veggie burger. But you know, who knows what's in those things? <laughs> <laughs> They're sus. But it's, no, no, it's I, like, I do love um, a good veggie yeah, burger. And then you know, the thing that holds it all together is the fifth. It, it doesn't have a big job, but it's a textural job. But that way of being able to kind of think about a triad as something that we know, you know, something that we have different kind of value points of like a sandwich or like a burger, um, I think can be really useful that way. So having different perspectives on the same topic, I often find as well, like I have, um, I have a piano in the room when I teach sometimes because those students don't, they don't play piano necessarily. Seeing why we create a triad using intervals is sometimes more useful on a more visual instrument like the piano. The guitar is horrendous for trying to teach visual lesson, lessons on initially. I have a similar analogy, but it's like an ice cream sundae, you know, <laughs> when teaching extensions, you know, it's mm. the triad is the ice cream and then the seventh is the chocolate and then <laughs> the, 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 the whipped cream is the seventh and the ninth and all that. But um, we're cooking up a yeah. storm of a meal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hungry, man. It's like noon here. What would you say to someone that that's considering getting into teaching? Because there's also a really important consideration is like, what ability level um, do you want to try to teach? Or, you know, what are the pros and cons of teaching certain ability levels? Uh, it sounds like you get most of your students probably like from Instagram. It's actually a big mix. I get a lot of students in person, but I equally get students through Instagram as well. I would say it's easiest for me to collect students in person a lot of the time. Um, but, you know, of course, it's, it, it's different challenges when you're doing it online versus in person. Right. Well, okay. And I don't want to get off topic because that's kind of a separate thing, but 
I guess where I was getting at is like, so most of these students are more advanced. Yeah, but I do take on a range of, of, of different kinds of learners as well. So I do have complete beginners and then I do have people oh. who are at music uh, school already. And I find oh, it really curious okay. because... Wow. I use different methods. I employ different methods, but I see the same things starting to pop up. So again, this idea of predominant learning styles, uh, patience, obviously. But I think a really big thing, and this was something that I believe is missed out quite a lot, is that you have to get the student playing in the lesson as much as possible. You really have to get them playing to see that they are solving the issue themselves. Yeah, you don't want them to walk away being like, oh, I barely touched my guitar. <laughs> Although, you know, sometimes working with younger kids that maybe didn't practice or something and they're sneaky, you know, they'll, they'll try to just chat and tell you about their baseball game and, and all that. I think as well, it's important at some point to figure out if you're somebody that works best with kids or if you're somebody that works best with adults. My students are all adults because I found out pretty quickly that teaching kids just it wasn't for me. The conversational style I found very difficult. My teaching style doesn't match up so well with it. But I have other friends, you know, who who function that environment really, really well. They're like, I, I can think of a friend of mine in particular who who only teaches kids. And he says, I just know how they think. I know why they don't want to do it. I know why they don't practice. And I know the learning mechanisms that get them back into being interested. And I look at that and I think that's not a skill set I have. But for adults, I absolutely do. I know how to engage them. So I think figure out what kinds of people that you would like to teach as well. You might not get that choice early on and that's fine. Right. Yeah. But yeah. As you, as you begin to grow your base of students as well, it's something to really consider. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, yeah, it, it, if if you are thinking about these things from the get go, you'll just be, you know, set, setting yourself up for success. But you might not be able to pick and choose, of course, at first. What about like keeping track of your students' progress? How how strict are you with that kind of stuff? Like, do you have like a Google Doc or do you keep notes in a tablet? Um, are are you a fan of you know digital or or tactile. I don't know. Would you have any, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? That's a great one. I think it's a two pronged approach. So the first thing that I get all of my students to do, and I, I recommend any budding teachers or people interested in teacher in, in teaching to, to encourage their students to do the same thing is to keep a journal, keep alert, make, make sure that the student has like a learning or a practice journal, even if it's just small notes that they're doing, because on the one hand, it means that they are keeping a track of their learning. They have a recording of it so that they can look back in a few months or weeks time and they can see where their progress is going. But equally, you should also have one for them. So what I often do is at the end of my, my teaching day, I'll go to a big planner that I have. I don't have it here right now. I wish I could show it. Um, but I have a big planner basically, and I just write down some very small notes about stuff that we're doing or perhaps ideas for the future. So stuff that we can we can work towards. I find that keeping track of of students' progress is important because it makes them feel that that they're being related to and that you're remembering and that you're enjoying the sessions as much as they are as well. But also that there's a point to the sessions, that they're going somewhere, that they're leading up to, you know, being able to compose a song or improvise or that kind of thing. So I think there's a there's a big reason to keep track of students learning. Yeah. And then three, six months into it, you know, they can look back at their body of work and feel a sense of accomplishment as well. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, cool. So those were a lot of really awesome tips uh, for kind of the nuts and bolts of teaching uh, guitar students. Let's, let's shift to maybe just talking about the pros and cons of teaching guitar in general. Um, you know, for me, the pros, 
have always been, I personally get a sense of satisfaction out of it. Um, and then of course, you know, it is obviously like, uh, providing a somewhat stable income. Um, but, and then I, you know, there's, there's some cons as well, but what are the, what are the pros and cons for you, Jack? The pros and cons for me, I'm going to start with the pros because I think they usually outweigh the cons. I think the pros for me definitely are the fact that you're meeting all kinds of really interesting people. You're meeting people who are as curious or perhaps sometimes more curious about music than you are, which can be really gay, really great. But you also, and this is another, this is another uh, pro I would say is you're meeting people who have different perspectives on music in general. So there's a lot of learning that can come from your side of, of, of being in the teaching scenario too. I'd say that's, that's, the other thing that encourages then that idea of, of having different perspectives on things, sometimes those perspectives are gifted to you rather than you having to go and learn them. There are people that go, ah, oh, this D major chord looks like a triangle. And you go, I've never thought that before, but it does. <laughs> so there's a lot, there's a lot of pros there. Of course, you know, as a professional musician myself as well, there are obvious benefits to having a stable income as well, to knowing that you can fill your books with students. And that you become known for that too. Uh, I think just the more teaching that you do, the better a teacher you are, you're a better communicator too. The cons, I think, and this is an important one, I would say for other professional musicians is that you have to understand that whilst students are making a commitment to you, you are also making a commitment to them in terms of your time. So you've got to be really careful about, you know, saying yes to gigs or no to gigs in that you've got to respect the fact that you work with people. You don't, you're not on a, like a one-time gig. You're working with people that sometimes will be with you for two or three years. And so you've really got to respect them and understand that any sort of opportunities, you've got to be really careful about how you fit them in, in amongst your teaching too. Don't make it so that teaching is just something that gets you through the week or that, you know, just fills out your income. It's really, there is a very big interpersonal relationship that you, that you have to be aware of. I do think burnout is a really big thong, thing on that too, but I think I think it'd be interesting to hear your perspective on that. Yeah. Well, I think finding a good balance for the, how much teaching feels right to you um, is, uh, is important, you know, cause burnout can definitely happen. Um, for me, particularly working with younger kids. And I think for most people um, that can definitely be, you know, it can be, yeah, it can be a bit much. There's also an element of kind of babysitting almost at that point in some cases, you know, when you have, when you, when you're working with students that don't really care, don't really want to be there, you know, that, that's when teaching can feel more like a job. Um, but I, I think if you stay with it long enough, you know, you, you, uh, and you have enough students, you know, you can kind of get rid of the ones that aren't really there or interested in, in really interested in it, or you, you can't seem to find a way to get them interested in it. And over time you start of uh, you sort of build up, uh, by word of mouth or, or whatever it is, um, a nice little, uh, studio of students, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's interesting, the, the pros and the cons, just looking at them and at that wider positives and negatives angle at looking at the experience. And I think, um, off the back of it, I, I always wonder if, again, going back to this idea of injecting yourself into who you are as a, as a teacher and as a, as, a, as a player as well, I always think it's really important that you maintain the ability to learn yourself, maintain the ability to always be the student. Because if you can be the student, you can think like the student too. 
And sometimes thinking like the student comes in handy, whether you're having a, a positive experience or a negative experience too, whether you're dealing with somebody who perhaps flat out refuses to learn or flat out refuses to practice as well. Like I think one of the things I wish somebody had, had let me know as soon as I got into teaching is that I would have to sometimes convince people of the benefits of learning. It's quite crazy. There are a lot of people who, who, who enter my sessions and I have to convince them that practice, it, it works. It really works. And that's the side again of your interpersonal relationships, which is, look, some people are going to be really excited to see you. And then others, you're going to need to, you need to help them through a little bit and, until they really are able to, to do it themselves and feel inspired. Yeah. So I think there's definitely some pros and cons. The, the pros generally uh, should outweigh the cons. And if not, maybe teaching's not right for you, uh, which is totally fine. It's not for everyone. Maybe we could move on to talking about kind of the biz part of it a little bit um, with should you teach guitar? You know, how do you personally attract students these days? I'm at a point now with my teaching where I don't actively have to try to attract students. They simply, they find me. But the groundwork that's gone into that, I found was very difficult. I, I found probably for a good two, two years that it was a real job to make sure that I'm setting up enough avenues that people know I'm around, people know that I teach, people also know how I teach. So one thing I did as a uh, as an online teacher is I made sure that my Instagram was super present. I made sure that people knew how I sounded, what I was able to do. I actually, funnily enough, and you really have to scroll back through a lot of my posts to see this, but I made sure that people knew I could play lots of different styles. As much as look, I love jazz, it's the stuff I, I, I really get up in the morning and want to play. That's not all that people want to learn. Some people want to look at country, they want to look at blues. And it's about saying, hey, I can do that stuff as well but you need to show that. So your social media is a great flyer for you, but it's only one stream. I found it very useful to go on to individual tutoring sites as well for people who are looking for either Skillshare or tutoring um, in a certain discipline or for a certain exam or whatever. Uh, there's a whole bunch of sites as well that you can set up individually. Having a website was huge. I now get most of my submissions and, and conversations about teaching through my website. Uh, yeah, a lot of stuff through the website. And I remember very early on just putting a lot of time. What drives people to your website? Usually what drives people to my website is the fact that I have spent a lot of time building it on Google My Business. So that's by simply making sure that my SEO is up to date, either through blogs or through the fact that it's linked to my social media content, either through YouTube or through Instagram or Twitter, or that kind of thing. But I was very, very proactive in making sure that people knew I was around, even in my town, before I was working on the, the worldwide stuff. So the, the website is mostly for in-person it's, it's drawing in person mostly? Mostly it is. I do get the odd kind of online stuff through through the website as well um, because that's it's a great kind of platform for that. But yeah, it would be mostly online, uh, in person, sorry. What's your uh, ratio, would you say, of on person, uh, online and in person? I would say that it is about 70% in person and 30% online. I would take more online, but just how time zones work, I do also like to sleep. So... <laughs> <laughs> I have to be very careful who I'm taking on and what time zone they're in. Interesting. Yeah. Well, so, and just for anyone listening, your website is jackhandysideguitar.com. Uh, so anybody can, you know, check it out there, sign up for some lessons. It looks like you have a blog and some scores available. You know, one thing I spend a lot of time thinking about is, you know, where is guitar education going? 
what is the future of guitar education, you know? And I think about things like the metaverse. Um, I don't know if you saw that Lex Friedman, Mark Zuckerberg interview. I did. <laughs> did you? And the the only thing I could think about is like, how how is this going to work for guitar? Do you have any, I don't know, do you have any thoughts on like, uh, you know, guitar, modern guitar education, either where we're at or, or where we're going. And um, is it heading in a good direction or, or do you think at the end of the day, just sitting down with someone is, it's never going to be beat? I'm quite old fashioned. So in some ways, I don't think you can beat that in-person environment. I think for me, the lessons that I remember having whilst I was still at music college, I remember going up these big hills on the way to my, my jazz tutor and sitting down with him and being in this stuffy room and it all fed into the experience of learning. I think that was something that was quite, in some ways, I guess it was spiritual really, but there is, there is a, in essence, there was a feeling of connection to the material that was there. It wasn't just a transaction of here's a person, here's the information that you need to get better. And then there you go. I think the beauty of teaching, whether you are the student or whether you are the teacher is that there is an interpersonal connection. There just is. It's, there's, there's almost a therapy-like quality in being able to study with somebody and being able to, I suppose, be vulnerable about what you can do, what you can't do, what you're struggling with as well. And I absolutely would not knock things like the metaverse and where, where guitar education is going. I think one of the things that's really nice about guitar education is that we're actually trying to get closer online to this feeling of being in the room with somebody. And so that it, as much as, you know, it can be transactional, it's like we were talking about, there are millions of pages and websites and Instagram pages and whatever it may be that give you information, but there's nothing quite like learning about your tutor, learning about how to play like them perhaps, or how to uh, learn in the way that best suits you. And it's something that I've, I've really enjoyed working alongside Pickup is that all the tutors, all everybody that's there, all the instructors, there is a piece of them in every lesson. And it feels like the student is connecting with all of them. Of course, you know, they're connecting the comment sections with us too. We're talking, but there's a real sense of the person really matters, how they put that information crosses too. And I think the last thing I would say just on that is if you're a teacher who's worried about, am I up to date? Am I, what do I do? Do I teach online? Do I teach in person? Um, am I going to teach something that's already been done? I got a really good piece of advice from a friend of mine and it's remained true, which is, yeah, things might have been done. Things might have been taught before. Subjects might have been talked about, but nobody's seen you do it. Yeah, very nicely said. So, well, thanks a lot, Jack. Uh, before we close it up here, you know, I guess big picture, should you teach guitar? What, what, what are the takeaways here? I think the takeaways are that teaching guitar isn't for everybody. Some people find that the draw is there almost immediately. Others find that through the experience, there is a, a love of it and a love of communication and the learning of being able to help others learn and overcome things as well. I don't think it's something that you should, you should tread on lightly, I guess. I, I think it's something that's that's worth entertaining, but know know what side of the fence you're on, because it can either be the greatest thing in the world or it can be a real can be a real heartache and it can be a real negative, I guess, sometimes too. All right, Jack. Well thank you so much for your time, man. It's been really great chatting with you. And thanks to all of you for listening. We really appreciate it. If you like this episode, please give us a like, give us a follow, and if you know a guitar teacher out there in your life, maybe share this episode with them. All right. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll see you on the next one. Mm -hmm.